welcome and praise God that, let me see, we have this, uh, check, check, can you hear me? One, two, three, can you hear me now? All right, all right. John chapter 9, John chapter 9, the title of this sermon is God's Design in Disability. God's Design in Disability. Since chapter 7, John has had Jesus in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, in that time period, in chapter 7 and 8, we see Jesus made some very remarkable claims that actually caused many to say, nobody has ever spoken like this man. Uh, he said things like, uh, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink, identifying himself with the rock in the wilderness. Uh, he also said, I am the light of the world, John chapter 8. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, identifying himself with the pillar of fire that led Israel in the wilderness through their 40 years wanderings. Jesus all pointing to himself. And chapter 8 kind of crescendoed and, and peaked with this radical statement of Jesus where he said, before Abraham was, I am. They picked up stones to stone him. And Jesus evades them and escapes the temple. And so comes our chapter the overarching thrust of this chapter, so if we've seen from chapters 5 to 8, the people of God, Israel, rejecting the light, rejecting their Messiah, then the question comes, how then can anybody be saved if his own people will not believe? How then can anybody be saved? John is going to answer that in this chapter you will not see unless the light of the world opens your eyes and draws you to faith in Christ. And in the process, in the process, we see two transformations occur throughout this chapter. I'm kind of giving you the overview before we just uh, dive deep into the deep end here. Uh, by the end of this chapter, you're going to see two transformations. You're going to see a man who was born blind recover sight in every sense of the word. He's going to be granted eyes to see physically and spiritually by the end of the chapter. And we're also going to see those who were born seeing, the Pharisees, are blind. They are the true handicapped and disabled in this passage. And in the context of this passage, Jesus makes some of the most astounding explanations and claims for some of the most painful experiences we have on this planet. And that is the painful experience of disability, handicap. And so as I preach from this text, I want you to know I'm not just merely engaging pastorally in a theological exercise. Uh, my heart has been massively burdened. Uh, for those of you and people in my own family who have been affected uh, with uh, disability in your life. So uh, I'm going to try to hope because the pain I, I know is so great at times and it's also the hope is 
secure and anchored in Christ. And, and that's what I love about this passage and Christ's explanation. So please know it is with great care uh, knowing that this is real life and this impacts real life. And this is why we love the Bible, because it deals with real life and painful realities, and it gives us eternal joy as the promise. So uh, my hope is that this will maybe help your journey or maybe for some of you begin your journey in thinking through the reality of disability in our fallen world and that God has a good display and design in disability. Albert Muller, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, in June 10th of this year, June 10th, a couple months ago, on his podcast, he, the briefing, he featured an article from a mother who wrote a letter to her doctor. This mother had a daughter born with Down syndrome and was 15 months old. This doctor, upon finding out that her baby in the womb had Down syndrome, counseled that she suggested even that she have an abortion. And even after she refused, the pressure was still very much present. And so she wrote a letter that if my computer will cooperate, I will read. And it says the following. Dear doctor, a friend recently told me of when her prenatal specialist would see her child during her sonograms. He would comment, he's perfect. Once her son was born with Down syndrome, she visited the same doctor. He looked at her little boy and said, I told you, he's perfect. Her story tore me apart. While I was so grateful for my friend's experience, it filled me with such sorrow because of what I should have had. I wish you would have been that doctor. I came to you during the most difficult time in my life. I was terrified, anxious, and in complete despair. I didn't know the truth yet about my baby, and that's why I desperately needed to hear it from you. But instead of support and encouragement, you suggested we terminate our child. I told you her name, and you asked us again if we understood how low our quality of life would be with a child with Down syndrome. You suggested we reconsider our decision to continue the pregnancy. From that first visit, we dreaded our appointments. The most difficult time in my life was made nearly unbearable because you never told me the truth. My child was perfect. I'm not angry. I'm not bitter. I'm really just sad. I'm sad the tiny beating hearts you see every day don't fill you with a perpetual awe. I'm sad the intricate details of the miracle of those sweet little fingers and toes and lungs and eyes and ears don't always give you pause. I'm sad you were so very wrong to say a baby with Down syndrome would decrease our quality of life. And I'm heartbroken you might have said that to a mommy even today. But I'm mostly sad you'll never have the privilege of knowing my daughter, Emerson. Because you see, Emerson has not only added to our quality of life, she's touched the hearts of thousands. She's given us a purpose and a joy that is impossible to express. She's given us bigger smiles, more laughter, sweeter kisses than we've ever known. She's opened our eyes to true beauty and pure love. 
So my prayer is that no other mommy will have to go through what I did. My prayer is that you too will now see true beauty and pure love with every sonogram. And my prayer is when you see that next baby with Down syndrome lovingly tucked in her mother's womb, you will look at that mommy and you will see me and then tell her the truth. Your child is perfect. The end. The scriptures present to us a view of men and women who are created in God's image and likeness. Every man, every woman has inherent dignity, value, and worth because they are in the image of their creator. And so we have a position as a church unashamedly that we stand with life and the value of life as God created them and knit them together in the womb. And what we're going to see in John 9 is that none of these things happen by accident. Yes, all pain, all sin, and all suffering is a direct result of the fall in Genesis chapter 3. But none of it, none of it is without a purpose. And that's what John 9 is going to reveal here. So let's pray and hear the words of the Lord. Uh, Father in heaven, Lord, were it not for your moment-by-moment sustaining grace, Lord, we would all fall away. And I thank you that you have given us your spirit to show us your word to exalt your son Christ. And now may he be exalted this morning, Lord, as we consider as we consider that all things exist so that the works of God might be displayed and that Christ might be glorified by his people. Lord, there are some here who have been suffering for years under chronic disability. There are some here who are suffering now in the beginning stages of this journey. Would Christ be their all-sufficient, satisfying Savior, I pray? Would you strengthen their souls and increase their faith and glorify your name? In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. So point number one, I actually have six points if I were going to cover this entire passage. We're going to have time for two of them this morning. We're going to have time for two of them. The first point and really the last so, number one, God's design in disability. God's design in disability. Verses one through seven. Verse one, I, don't you just love this passage? And this is so remarkable, even of the time that Jesus passed by Zacchaeus, uh, right? You remember verse one, as he passed by, right? So right after he exits the temple, and we don't know exactly how long, but as he passed by, it says, he saw a man blind from birth. Now this poor man, in this extremely lowly position in life, unable to see Jesus, unable to see anybody in life, that didn't stop Jesus from seeing him and from moving towards him. Isn't that a great Savior that we have? He sees people with disabilities. And he doesn't just see them, but he moves toward them. Psalm 138, verse 6. For though the Lord is high, for though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly. Our God is a God who looks upon 
the lowly. Our culture tends to move past them. We move past them in part sometimes because we don't know what to say or how to respond or, dare we say, really even think about it. And if that disability is discovered in the womb, studies show us that more than 70% of the time the child is aborted. We do not look kindly on those who are lowly. So that's the first thing I want to encourage you with this morning. Just noticing, before we even delve into some of the, the depths of the answer that Jesus gives, just noticing his response. He sees people with disability and he moves toward people with disability. So I want to encourage you, beloved, stop and see them. Those who struggle with a disability, with a handicap, do you stop and do you see them? Do you see them as God made them, men and women, boys and girls, not defined by their disability, but defined by their God? And do you recognize them as such? Now, sometimes we pass by them because we don't know what to say. And we choose to say nothing. But please know when we choose to say nothing, we're saying something. We're saying something, even if it's not the intention. And the message that can so often get communicated is, we don't see you. We don't see you. John Knight, with Desiring God Ministries, had a child in 1995 who was born a son without eyes. He wrestled with this issue and this teaching and this passage so much so that for a season, he left his church, his small groups, and everything as he wrestled with these issues. But he later, the Lord sustained his faith and brought him back. And this is, this is what he said. Let us join with Jesus in seeing the men and seeing the women and seeing the older saints who can no longer hear as well or see as well or walk as well or the baby that was born of Down syndrome or like my boy who was born blind or the young person that is, has the car accident and the traumatic brain injury. Let's start seeing them too, not just the ones who are strong and smart, Go where the weak ones are. Go where the ones that people are ignoring are. Recognize them and see them for what they are. Let that just rest on you for a moment. Do you know somebody that suffers with a disability like this? Are you that person? I want to encourage you. Jesus sees you and loves you, and moves towards you, and there is a hope, and your life matters to Christ. See, Jesus moves towards this man. He was born blind. He's not just blind, but he's outside. He's a beggar. So in those days, to be born blind, as if that is not bad enough and painful enough, to be born blind, there's no Kaiser Permanente. There's no hospital, no HMSA, no blind charities, no Americans with Disability Act. None of these things. To be born blind was to be considered an outcast and a beggar. That was your life. That's what you were destined to. And on top of that, the Jews had this belief that if you were born like this, then it must be the result of either sin you committed in the womb 
or sins your parents committed, and thus you are being punished in some manner for either their sin or your own. So on top of all of that, now there's a stigma on top of you and your family. And this underlying belief evokes this question from the disciples in verse 2. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Verse 3 is a shocking answer for many reasons. First, because it shows their underlying assumptions to be totally wrong. Second, because of the implications of what Jesus actually says. Their question, you could say, being in Maui, is a tide pool question. They're about to get an ocean's deep answer from Christ. But before we go there, actually, let's just jump right into it. His answer is verse 3 to 5. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents. Notice this. Notice the following the train of thought. Why was this? Who sinned? This man or his parents? Jesus, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. But so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am the world, I am in the world, I am the light of the world. One pastor said it like this. Let me restate what Jesus said. This man was blind because God made him blind in order to demonstrate his power in him. His blindness had nothing to do with his parents or his personal sin. The purpose of this man's disability was not punishment, but proclamation. It was not punishment. The purpose is not punishment for sin, but proclamation. Let that sink in. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. His disability, a life of blindness, according to Jesus, the word made flesh, was so that the works of God might be displayed. Jesus is only affirming what we already know to be true from the Old Testament. We already know this, but we rarely connect the dots with disability. We quote these verses all the time, And in part, we don't connect the dots because of the surface-level difficulty it presents. But if we're consistent, there's no way to avoid it. Psalm 139, we regularly proclaim this over children. Preschool, we're here, we're there, right? You're preschool, you work in, in Christian education, this is a passage you know. Psalm 139, 13 through 16. For you formed, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. We know this passage. Who does the forming? Who does the knitting, the making, 
the writing of the days in the book? Is it not God? That's not the only place we could turn to. Exodus 4.11, undoubtedly, we could refer to. It forces us to reckon with this hard teaching. Then the Lord said to him, to Moses, who has made man's mouth, who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? The text does not say that God doesn't cause it, but uses it for good. That's not what it says. That's not what it says. What does it say? It says the exact opposite. The answer is that God designs it and dispatches it with a distinct purpose. He designs it and dispatches it with a distinct purpose. And what is that purpose? To show his power, to exalt his son, Jesus Christ, and to satisfy, satisfy, that's important, his people. That is the purpose, that the works of God would be displayed. Now, if, if, if you are to receive the words of Jesus as good news and his answer to the disciples, it's going to involve a total, total reorientation of your life to God's purposes, to the way God sees the existence of this world. All things exist for the glory of God. And if we have our purposes uh, set and centered on what I think is good for me, on my life, on my comforts, this is going to be a very, very hard answer. And even if your answer is reoriented to God's answer, even if your life is reoriented to the life that all things exist for the glory of God, still, still is a hard answer. By the grace of God, our son Haddon was healed and healthy. But seeing him in a box with tubes connected to him for any amount of time is hard. It's hard. So we understandably find it difficult to grasp, to comprehend, to wrap our minds around how, how, Pastor, how Jesus can a, a lifetime of suffering be redeemed and God-glorifying and ultimately satisfying. How? Just imagine this man's life. Just imagine his parents' life, seeing their baby boy, knowing he'd never look at their faces the way babies look at parents' faces and smile and recognize them, knowing that he would never have a normal life like all the children, graduation out of the picture, all these milestones in life out of the picture, a, a wife, a marriage, children, all of them gone. He would never experience any of, the, any of these things. Their entire lives would be stigmaed with sin and unrighteousness, even possibly blaming themselves for their son's disability. This is real life, is it not? This is pain. And Jesus' answer for it 
This happened so that the works of God might be displayed. So that the works of God might be displayed. The question that you will ask, is a lifetime of suffering really worth it? Does it really, truly outweigh the pain? I'm going to let Paul, the apostle, answer that first. 2 Corinthians 4, 17. Famous passage. For this light, momentary affliction is working for us, is working for us, preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He compares the affliction, looking in the scope of eternity, the glory that is to be ours, and he says it is light and momentary. It's fleeting. It's like a vapor as James says, it's there for a second and it's gone. He would say in Philippians 3, whatever gain I had, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He said, I'd suffer the loss of all things if I could gain Christ. So if you ask Paul, is it worth it? Or 2 Corinthians 12, same book, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. You remember the famous, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations given to me, God sent me this thorn in the flesh. And I asked him how many times, three times, that he would take it from me. And what was his answer? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. There is a design in Paul's suffering and his pain. So he says, for the sake of Christ then, for the sake of Christ then, I am content, verse 10, with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so some have rightly said, sometimes God's grace miraculously heals And sometimes God's grace miraculously sustains in pain. And God is to be glorified in all of it. That's Paul. We could go to Peter. We could go to Jesus. I'm going to give you another account. I'll let Joni Erickson Tata give her next answer as to whether it's worth it. Joni Erickson Tata, for those of you who don't know, she was 17 years old. Normal teenager life, things are going good, things are looking up. She goes to the, to the Chesapeake Bay one day, and she goes out onto a raft, and she doesn't check the depth of the water, and she dives in head first, hits her head, snaps her spinal cord, and at 17 years old, she is paralyzed from the shoulders down for the rest of her life. 17 years old. 50 years, a quadriplegic in a wheelchair. She has suffered much. And this is how she has viewed her suffering. She says this, I quote, I hope, I hope I can take my wheelchair to heaven with me. I know that is not biblically correct, but if it were, 
I would have my wheelchair up there in heaven right next to me when God gives me my brand new glorified body. And I would then turn to Jesus and say, Lord, do you see this wheelchair right here? Well, you were right when you said that in the world we would have trouble because that wheelchair has been a lot of trouble. But Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. So thank you for what you did in my life through that wheelchair. And now I say always jokingly, you can send that wheelchair to hell if you want. She went on to say, I like to think of my pain as a sheepdog that keeps snapping at my heels to drive me down the road to Calvary where otherwise I would not be naturally inclined to go. God has a design in disability. And sometimes, sometimes God hides his most precious truth in our most difficult and painful experiences. And his most precious truth is what? A glimpse, just like this blind man, a glimpse of his all-sufficient, all-satisfying son, Jesus Christ, the light of the world. We're going to skip over the bulk of this and go to verse 35 for the last point. If God has a design and disability to display his works, then his restored sight to this man is to renew his praise. That's the last point, point six. The other ones goes from neighbor's response, how his neighbors are responding to this man who they thought was born blind. There's this confusion over him to the Pharisees' unbelief, to the fear of his parents and answering on their behalf. And then there's this volleying back and forth again of his interview with the Pharisees. Some remarkable things are said. But we're going to go to 35 to 41. And at the bottom, starting at the bottom of the screen, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. The point of his restored sight was that he would have renewed praise in God. Now, what we see in the beginning of 35 is after they had cast him out, after the Pharisees, he had he'd kind of done this volleying back and forth, and he said, do you also want to be a disciple of his? And they demeaned him and reviled him and, and cast him out. It says Jesus found him. And now just like the first time that Jesus found him and granted him sight, Jesus finds him again, and now he's going to grant him even greater sight. The second miracle, you could say. And it's the sight that ultimately matters. And it's no accident, by the way. Notice John chapter 10. What does John chapter 10 talk about? You could probably just look at the titles of your Bible. John chapter 10 is the great passage on the good shepherd. It's no accident that John structures these verses like this, and he structures this passage, right? The next one is the good shepherd, and his sheep hear his voice and come to him. This is a picture of that. Two groups of people hear the voice of God, the Pharisees and the man born blind. And Jesus' sheep hear his voice 
and come. And now this good shepherd finds him and asks him a question. And this is really the question that you all should leave here with. Do you believe in the Son of Man? That's the question. Do you believe that Jesus is the light of the world? Do you believe that he is the one sent by God, that he died on a cross for sins and rose again three days later so that anybody, those handicapped, those with sight, all peoples, if you will repent, if you will repent, turn from your sins and trust in Christ, you will be saved. You will see and you will leave here saying, once I was blind. But now I see. I see. Are you like the man who sees the light and comes to it? Or are you like the Pharisees who see the light and are repelled by it? You push away from it. You leave it. You reject it. Like I said, this chapter has two transformations, and it's loaded with irony. Those who don't see, who are born in utter darkness, have pure and ultimate light come in. And those who are born seeing are actually the ones who are truly blind. You see the irony in this chapter. So I ask you, will you come today? Are you blind spiritually to the truths of Christ? And if you come and obey him, he will give you sight. He will open your eyes to the glories of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Now, I want to give you one final word to those who struggle with disability. I want to leave you with something. Some of you may think, well, this man was healed. Yeah, pastor, good to see a lifetime of suffering, but he got healed. I'll never be healed. It's not looking like that's going to happen for me. So while it's a good story for him, what about me? In brief, John chapter 5 helps us here. Like I said, sometimes God heals and sometimes God sustains through pain. In John chapter 5, he did another healing on the Sabbath day. He went down to those pools and there's invalids laying everywhere and he finds one man and heals him. Now you say, what's significant about that? He found one man and healed him. You say, what's significant about that? He found one man. There was multitudes of lame, blind, invalids laying around him. He didn't heal them all. He only healed how many? One. See, Christ's healing miracles are meant to show that the messianic age, the kingdom of God is inbreaking on the world, but the time for total and complete healing is not yet. Is not yet. It's coming, and when it comes, when it comes, this foretaste that we have here, it will be oh so worth it. Because infirmities and disabilities will be done with forever. I'm going to close with a brief poem by John Piper describing the joys of heaven with Christ. So what he describes as the, the kingdom of God comes on this world and, and, and he's experiencing it or some are experiencing it as he looks around for the first time. I'm not sure if the lyrics will be up there or not to help you follow along. This is what he says. The blind can see a bird on wing. The dumb can lift his voice and sing. 
The diabetic eats at will, the coronary runs uphill. The lame can walk, the deaf can hear, the cancer-ridden bone is clear. Arthritic joints are lithe and free, and every pain has ceased to be, and every sorrow deep within, and every trace of lingering sin is gone. And all that's left is joy. And endless ages to employ, the mind and heart to understand and love the sovereign God who planned that it should take eternity to lavish all his grace on me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that for eternity... That while suffering in this life, though real and difficult, that for all eternity we will resound the praises of your grace to sinners. Lord, there are some here who are struggling with this. I do ask for healing. We do pray that if it would so please you, that you would do for them just as you did for this man. That you would heal them. And if you decide to tarry, to wait, then, Father, may your works be displayed in them by sustaining them. And, Lord, there are some here who, who think they have no handicap, who think they have no disability, but they are utterly and spiritually blind. Lord, would you open their eyes and draw them to the light of the world? We ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our time of response is actually going to be in response to our...